Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Hey, what's up, Revo? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for joining us today here in the room from the front row all the way up to the mezzanine. I like to call it the mezzanine instead of the balcony because it makes y'all seem fancier and uh, more expensive. So welcome. Big shout out to you guys. Uh, Also, to everybody watching online, whether you join us on Facebook Live or YouTube or Vimeo, we would love to have you here in the house uh, someday. There's so many people that tune in every week uh, that have never tuned in yet. We have first-time guests in the room every Sunday, and so there's actually people in here that I don't know that I haven't had the opportunity and the chance to meet yet. So I figured today I would tell you uh, something that maybe a lot of you don't know about me, um, uh, uh, like a little-known fact that that people don't know about me. I moved to Winston. With about 30 of my friends to start Revo Church. And uh, I wasn't a pastor before Revo. This is the very first time I've ever done this. And some of you were like, oh, we can tell. <laughs> right? So I appreciate the patience. Uh, we are learning along the way. Um, but I actually, uh, you know, was not, not a professional pastor. And uh, I, when I was in the ninth grade, I knew what I wanted to do in my life. Uh, I wanted to own and operate my own restaurant. My grandparents owned and operated a restaurant. My dad grew up in the food service industry. And from the time that I was 15, almost every job that I've ever had has been in the food service industry. So my my senior year of high school, um, I looked at my dad. My dad was a pastor. I'm like, never doing that, right? <laughs> Here we are. Uh, and I said, Here, I'm going to apply. I, I got accepted into Johnson and Wales University. It's the top culinary school in the nation. I was like, hello, let's do this. And uh, fast forward to the year before I moved to Winston-Salem, and I was the chef at a really nice restaurant in the upstate of South Carolina. And uh, when I say really nice restaurant, I mean, it's like a fancy restaurant. Like you, It's a restaurant where you go and a steak will cost you 50 bucks. I'm not talking about like a combo, like steak, appetizer, baked potato, salad. This ain't Applebee's, okay? Nothing wrong with Applebee's. But when I talk to Applebee's, I'm talking about like just, just the piece of meat would cost you $50. Just super fancy restaurant. So here I was just living the dream, doing what I, I always wanted to do, uh, living out my, my dream. And uh, so occasionally um, in the restaurant, I would be in the back of the kitchen and a, an order would come in. And, you know, the, the, the system would print the, uh, the, the ticket, and I would hear it, and I would rip, t- rip the ticket off. And the very top line is going to show you what the main item that they ordered is. And I can remember this particular ticket uh, had 10-ounce filet of beef written in black letters. It's the most expensive uh, cut of beef that we had in the store. We sourced the highest quality beef that we could find. Only a handful of restaurants in the entire state of South Carolina sold this quality of beef that we offered at our restaurant. So $55 steak this person just ordered. Underneath that line item is going to be printed in red any kind of special instructions, special orders, special requests, but also on a steak. It's going to be listed in red in capital letters underneath what steak they ordered, how they want the steak cooked. So I can remember this particular ticket staring at it and written in black at the top, 10 ounce filet of beef. I'm like, okay, here we go. Somebody with good taste. Big uppercase letters, red right underneath it were two words, well done. (laughs) 
Anytime that happened to me, I went through what most counselors describe as the first four stages of grief that anybody goes through that has experienced something very heartbreaking. The first stage of grief is shock and denial. I would look at it and I'd say, no, no, that don't say well done. I would page the server and I'd get him to come back to the kitchen. I'll say, hey, man, this ticket, it says they ordered 10-ounce filet of beef, $55 steak, but it says well done. Did you mean to put that in there? Was that a typo? When they said well done, did you ask them? Like, did you clarify? Did you say, wait, did you just say well done? And then did you slap them and ask them to leave? Like, are you sure that this is well? I don't want to cook this steak well done. And, and they would say, no, that's, that's what it is. It's well done. Shock and denial then leads to the second stage of grief, which is pain. And uh, to the point where I'm standing next to the grill and I got a choice to make. I'm like, I'd, I would rather throw this piece of meat away than to put it on this grill and cook it. Like, it's, it hurts me. It's a, it's a physical angst that I have that then I'm getting ready to put this $55 steak on a grill and cook it well done. It just makes, makes no sense. And then it moves from pain to anger and bargaining. I'm yelling at the ticket now. I'm like, no, this is not, you can't, do. I call the server and I was like, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cook this thing medium well. I'm not going to cook it rare. Like you just gonna have to tell me if they don't like it, then tell them to leave. Like go find, go to Applebee's, right? <laughs> go find somewhere else. Like I'm not going to do it. Like, all right. So here's what we, I tell you what, next time somebody orders a well done steak, write them down for the chicken. I cook that well done every time. I'll make sure that is, is well done. And finally, fourth stage of grief is depression, where we realize we just had to do it. And so I got a, a line cook that is manning the grill, and this $55 steak is on top of the grill, and it's been on there for a long time, and he is continuing to turn it and, and, and flip it and cook it some more. And we're both like hunched over the grill, and we're just taking turns sighing over it. We're like, ah. Just totally depressed that this is actually what's going on. Well, occasionally in the restaurant, I would, I would put on my nice, clean chef coat, and I would walk out into the restaurant to see the diners and to, to meet people and to thank people for coming in. And so I wanted to meet the center that ordered this steak uh, well done. And so I say, hey, guys, when you get everything ready for the table, let me know. I'm going to walk out there with you. So we walk out there. It was a lady that, that ordered it. And um, you know, when, when I introduced myself, and she, she thanked me, and ah, there were some words I wanted to say, but I didn't. Uh, because I was a Christian, and so I found out the, you know, the lady that ordered it, and, um, and right before, like, I felt like the rage was subsiding a little bit. I was getting ready to get away from the table and go back to the kitchen. Um, she says something to me, the same lady that ordered the steak well done. She said, uh, excuse me, chef, uh, could you bring me some ketchup? <laughs> and I pretended like I didn't hear her. And I said, uh, I looked at the table, I was like, there's nothing on this table that would uh, be something that anyone in their right mind would want to dip ketchup in. And so I, I thought I just misheard you. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, man, what, what did you say? And she said, yeah, chef, can you bring me some ketchup? I want to dip my steak in it. And I decided either I can say something and lose my job, or, which is why I'm a pastor today, um, or, <laughs> just kidding, kind of, um, or I, I'm just going to pretend like I just looked at the server that was with us. I was like, you can handle this. And I'm just walking away very slowly, walking back to the kitchen. And when I walked into the kitchen, obviously there was a look on my face because it like maybe seen a ghost or something because the whole kitchen crew looked at me. He's like, what, what's wrong? I was like, you guys know that girl that ordered the well-done steak? And he said, yeah. He's like, she just asked for ketchup to dip it in. What? I know, right? What? 
It's like, how old is she? Are you seven years old? Do I need to cut your meat up for you into small bites? Like, are you a small child? Who dips a $55 steak in ketchup? And like the kitchen crew is having, like, a, we're having a situation on our hands. We're like, should we kick her out? Should we tell her she's not welcome here anymore? Like, the next time, should we like spit in her ketchup and like stir it up? Never did that. Never did. I wanted to, but did not do it. And so here's the conclusion that we came down to. This lady obviously did not know what she had in front of her. She did not know that this was a cut of beef that only specific restaurants in the entire state of South Carolina served and had access to. She didn't know what she was ordering. And when I think about that story, I think about most Christians and the way that people approach prayer. You ever met a Christian that uh, will say, ah, you know, I'm kind of into prayer. I pray sometimes. Um, it really doesn't work, but I know I'm supposed to, or maybe it will work, and it works half the time, or maybe it doesn't. And, 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 and if, if a person that knows prayer and has understood prayer and understands the power of prayer, if they hear that, it, it leaves them scratching their head a little bit because they know what prayer is. They know the power behind it. They know that, that prayer is, is literally the keys to the kingdom of God. Like it's, it's communication with, with God. And, and the, the, the response that I often have is this. It's just like, I like I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. But here's, here's the deal. Like, you just obviously don't know what you have access to in front of you right now. Right, like if, if that's the way you talk about it, we're well done dipping in ketchup now. Like if that's what you're going to do, like you obviously just don't understand. I'm talking. Prayer is communication with the Creator of the world. God has given you unlimited access to Him. You can call on Him anytime. Prayer makes the impossible possible. Prayer opens up doors when there is no other way. Prayer makes things happen when no one else can do anything about it. And so for Christians that say, well, you know, I kind of pray or maybe pray or a little bit of pray or right before I eat. Like, I just think, like, here's the deal. Like, I'm not, I'm not dogging on you. You just don't know and realize what you have access to. You don't understand what's sitting in front of you right now. The opportunity that God has given you and given me to access him. You just don't understand what's in front of you right now. I want to I look at a story tucked away in the Old Testament. Maybe it's a story you've never heard of before. Maybe in a book that you've never read or you've heard it before. It's in the book of 2 Kings. It's a story about a man named Elisha. And we're going to learn. I want to help you understand three things that prayer does for you. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down at the top of your paper. Three things that prayer does for you. And I'm telling you, if you get these three things, you leave here today understanding these three things, then I believe that you will see the opportunity that really is sitting in front of you right now. You'll understand this incredible gift that God has given us to have access to him at any moment, to call on him and the creator of the world hears you and listens to you and answers your prayers. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Let me show you how this story starts out. Really cool story. Now, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Uh, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, the other king, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha, the man of God, warned the king of Israel 
so that he was on his guard in such places. The story starts out, we meet one of the enemies of Israel, the people of God. It's the nation of Aram, the Arameans, led by a king. And here's their deal, like they're constantly plotting on how they can destroy the nation of Israel. And so here's the scene. The commander, the king, would get in a room with all of his military commanders, and he's like, all right, guys, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to go down to the bridge. We're going there this afternoon. We're going to set up an ambush on the other side of the bridge because I know that the Israelites walk down that bridge every Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We're going to be there waiting on them. And Scripture says that every time they showed up, the Israelites had chosen another path. Two days later, he's like, all right, this time we're going to go in the forest. We're going to hide in the trees because I know the Israelites go past this field. We're going to set up a trap. We can capture them there. We can kill a bunch of people. It's going to be great. They go there, and the Israelites have taken another route. Every single time this king has a command and he shares it with his commanders, it gets thwarted. It seems like the Israelites are always a step ahead, always a step, always smarter, always know what's going on. The, the plan never works. Not a single time does the plan work. Why? Because Scripture says there's this preacher, there's this man of God named Elisha. And every time the enemy king makes a plan, God tells it to Elisha. Elisha has such a close relationship with God, understands prayer, like this guy prays and hears from God. And so the king of Aram comes up with a plan, we're going to destroy you guys. God tells Elisha, Elisha tells the king of Israel, hey, don't go to the bridge today. Don't ask me why, I just know. Don't go to the bridge today. Tomorrow, don't go by the forest. You're going to, there's a trap there, there's an ambush. And it says the Israelites escaped every single time, always one step ahead of their, of their enemies. So here's what happened. Obviously, that, that frustrates the king of Aram. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us around this table is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. King gets upset. He's like, here's the deal, boys. I lay out a plan to the people in this room every single day. I say we're going to go to the bridge. When we go to the bridge, the Israelites aren't there. They're a step ahead of us. I say, let's go to the forest. They're not there. They're a step ahead of us. You know what that tells me? We got a snitch in this place. And you know what happens to snitches? Snitches get stitches. So which one of it is you? Which one of you is going and telling the king of Israel all the plans? Like, I don't know if y'all are calling, texting, Facebooking. I don't know what it is, but they seem to know who's telling them. So the generals are like, listen, it's none of us. Like, we're on your team. But here's the deal. There's a guy over there that talks to God. He prays. His name's Elijah. And you know something crazy? This guy talks to God and he hears God. He is so close to God. He prays so much that he can hear what God says and God speaks to him. And hey, I'll just give you a heads up, King. God even tells him what you say when you're in your bedroom by yourself. That's how powerful this God is. And that's how close this man of God is to his God. This guy prays all the time. Like, he's tapped into it. He, he knows the power. He knows everything you're going to do. So the king comes up with a plan. He said, all right, go find out where this man is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The re report came back. He's in Dothan. 
which is in the southwest. Like when you're looking at the map, Dothan is in the southeast part of Alabama, right near the Florida-Georgia line. There's a city called Dothan. I've been there before, great town. Probably not the same as this one, but he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. So he's like, all right, if Elijah's the one that's communicating with God and messing us all up, then we'll kill him. Let's go get him and kill him. Here's the game plan. I'm going to lay it out for you. We're going to go in the middle of the night. We're going to surround the city. So let me get this straight, king. There's a guy that hears from God that is so close to God and prays so much that God tells him everything that you say. Every plan that you've ever made, God told Elisha before you got there. And your solution is to come up with a plan ahead of time and tell everybody that you're coming to get this man that talks to God, that knows everything that God tells him. Good. What could go wrong, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just go. Middle of the night. Maybe we'll catch him by surprise. Maybe he doesn't pray in the middle of the night. Maybe he's, maybe he's sleeping, and so all of the people go. What could possibly go wrong? Scripture tells us that they leave horses, chariots, thousands of soldiers, and they surround the city of Dothan where, where Elisha is. First thing in the morning, verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, Elisha's servant, Elisha's right-hand man, he gets up, stretches, you know, does the whole stretch, opens up the curtains and the blinds. Here's what he sees. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? I don't know what your morning routine is, but I just want you to imagine you go downstairs, you're getting ready to turn the coffee maker on, you go up to your front of the house and you're either pulling back the curtains or, or doing the blinds to open them up, let some sunlight in. And when you look outside, you see thousands of men with swords in their hands sitting on top of horses. You are going to have the same response that this guy had. He said, oh no, my Lord. Some of y'all haven't been saved very long. Y'all wouldn't say, oh no. You'd say, oh, something else. Like, y'all hadn't forgot those words yet. <laughs> oh, snap. There's a lot of people outside. Wow. Wow. They look angry. You know, we can laugh about that, but every person in this room has been in that situation before where there's a situation that has happened in your life and you are completely overwhelmed, outnumbered, your back is against the wall and the only response that you have is, God, what are we gonna do? God, do you see that? Like, I, I don't know what it is. I've been there, I know you've been there, whether it's a relationship struggle, it's a financial strain, it's a problem that you have at work, it's a, a bad report from the doctor, it's something going on in your family, it's a big decision, a career move, like uncertainty in the world that we live in. I don't, I don't know what it is, but we know exactly what it feels like to be that guy. Exactly what it feels like to, all of a sudden, like life just kicks you in the gut and you open up the curtain and you're like, Oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? How is this going to play out? And that's what that man did. And he turned to Elisha and said, Oh, oh Lord, Elisha, what are we going to do? What are our options? And here's Elisha's response. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> Now put yourself in the position of uh, the guy that hears that. He's like, don't be afraid because the people that are with us are more than the people with them. If I were him, that servant, I'd peel that window curtain back and say, 
hey, now when you say us, I see me and you, and that's us. And then I see, yep, still there. I see all of them, and they're mean. And they got horses and chariots and swords. So when you say there's more of us than there is of them, are you, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Like, what, what happens? And I, I can imagine that I've said things from this stage before. Statements like, hey, I, I want you to trust God. I want you to understand that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want you to, you can trust in him. God is there. God knows what you're going through. And I can imagine that just like that servant, there have been times where you've said, hey, hold up, hold up for a second, man. You, you don't understand what's behind the curtain. You don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know my struggles. You don't know anything about me, man. What do you mean trust God? What do you mean he's going to provide? What do you mean he has a plan? You, do you see this? Do you see what's out here? The same response, I bet, that servant would have had. I've had that before when someone's tried to reassure me a truth from Scripture. I've for sure believe that you've had that same response when I've said things like that. Like, do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see the struggle? Do you not see the pain? Do you not see our backs are up against the wall? What good is it going to do to trust God? What do you you mean God is always going to be there? What What do you mean he has a plan? Elisha, obviously feeling some of that, gave this response. Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha prays, and we see the first thing that we can learn from prayer. If you pray, this is what God can do for you. This is what prayer does in your life. Take notes if you're jotting this down. Number one, prayer gives us God's perspective. When you pray, you switch your perspective for God's perspective. The servant pulled the curtain out. The only thing he could see was what was in front of him right now. And Elisha prayed a simple prayer. God, give this man your perspective. Let him see what you see. Let him see your perspective of things. And Elisha gets it. He's like, man, I, I get you, man. I'm, I'm not dogging you. I'm, I'm not surprised that you said that. Uh, but there's only one thing that you can see right now. When you look out that window, all you see are thousands in opposition You see hurt, you see pain, you see opposition, you see struggle, you see no way out, you see nothing but defeat. And so I want to ask God something. The reality is Elisha was less interested in what you and I can see and more interested in what God can see. We talked about this last week. Like You and I, we can't even see around the corner. God can see around eternity. God sees it all. He knows everything, the beginning, the middle, and the end. He knows how it all plays out. We can't see that. So when we pray, we begin to ask God, God, I need to see things that I can't see. I know you can see them. I know you, I know you can see everything. I know how it plays out. You know what tomorrow holds. I don't even know what's going to happen in an hour from now. I need a godly perspective. And when we pray, that's exactly what God gives us. Because right now in your life, it looks like you got nothing but opposition. It looks like nothing but an uphill climb. It looks like nothing but struggle and pain and bad news and uncertainty. I get it. And when we pray, we begin to get God's perspective on things. Like, God, show me what I don't see. Now, I want you to notice what you think. Well, what, is that? what difference does that make? What does perspective mean? Notice the difference that perspective makes. 
The servant looks out the window and says, with all of these men, we can't win. And Elisha looks out the window and says, I just honestly don't see a way we can lose. When this man looks out the window, the servant says, God, like his prayer is, God, change my situation. But Elisha prays and says, God, change my perspective. Maybe you don't change what's going on in my life, but you know what you can do? Change the way I see it. Change my perspective on things. The servant looked out the window, saw all of those enemies and said, we are hosed. Elisha looks out the window and says, man, we got this in the bag. <laughs> this is no, a no-brainer. It's done. Signed, sealed, delivered. It's done. It's amazing what perspective does. Prayer gives us God's perspective and God's perspective changes everything. God opens up his eyes and in verse 18, here's what Elijah does. As the enemy came down towards him, thousands of men on chariots and horses holding knives and swords, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. Elisha told him, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man that you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside of Samaria. Elisha prays for a second time and we see what God can give us through prayer. Prayer helps us to see. Number two, we see God's plan. When we pray, we ask for God to reveal the plan that he has for our life, for our situation, for our family, our marriage, our job, our finances. Whatever you're facing right now, through prayer, we begin to see God's plan. Elisha, being a man that is so connected to God, so dedicated to prayer, talks to God, has a relationship with him, he knew what the plan was. And so in verse 18, he, he walks out the door and he just meets him. He's like, hey, who y'all looking for? Elisha. Not here. <laughs> this is not where it, hey, y'all want to know where Elisha is? He prays that the people are struck blind, like physically cannot see. I mean, you can imagine the pandemonium, like they're dropping everything, trying to, tripping over each other, trying to, it's like turning the lights out in a room and you're, you're, you're kicking stuff and running into stuff. Like this is the scene that Elisha has in front of him. He says, hey guys, here, hey look, just follow the sound of my voice real quick. Follow me. I will lead you to the man. You guys want to talk to Elisha? Just come this way. All right, everybody put, put one hand on the shoulder of the guy in front of you and, and follow me and walk. And scripture says that he led him away from the people of Israel, away from the city of Dothan and to a city called Samaria. And when they got in the middle of the city, Elisha prayed another prayer. And he says, all right, God, open up their eyes. Help them, help them to see. And prayer allowed Elisha and his servant to see the plan of God. See, God's got a plan. I don't know if you know this or not, but God has a plan for your life. And I know that you have a plan. I know you guys are smart. Like you've thought it out, you've planned it, you've done the research. Every person in here probably has a plan for their life. I want to argue something with you that whatever your plan is, God's plan is better. I have not met a single person that discovered God's plan for their life and then on the back end said, you know what, I'd like to go back to my plan. Not a single person. Now I've seen a lot of people fail at their plans. And a lot of people pursue their plans and it led them to nothing. And it led them to heartbreak and sadness and no fulfillment and no joy and no satisfaction. But I've never met someone that discovered God's plan for their life and then they wanted to trade it for something better. Because God's plan is always better than your plan. 
I mean, these guys are trapped in a house completely surrounded by enemies. All right, God, what's the plan? Pray, we're going to blind them, and you're going to lead them outside of the city. Great plan. I like that. It sounds great. And Elisha did exactly what he told him to do. If you knew that God had a plan for your life, would you want to know it? If you knew that the very situation that you are in right now, the thing that was keeping you up at night, the thing that was burdening your heart and consuming your thoughts, if you knew that God had a plan for that and so much more, would you want to know it? Scripture tells us you can. Just ask. You want to know God's plan? Pray. Ask it. And when we pray, God will reveal his plan for our life, for that question, the wisdom that we need, the decisions that we have to make. He promises. You want to know God's plan? Just ask him. So Elisha prayed, all right, God, what are we going to do? God gave him the plan, and he led these men outside, away from, from the harm of the people of Israel to protect all of those innocent people, and he led them to the middle of the city of Samaria. And when they got to the middle, he prayed, God, open up their eyes. And what was the first thing that they saw? First thing they saw is in verse 21. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? <laughs> Elisha led these guys to Samaria and they were surrounded by the whole army of Israel and they didn't even know it and the first thing they see when they open up their eyes is we are currently surrounded by an entire army and our horses and chariots and swords are way back there and so like the king of Israel can't even believe it. He's like, Elisha, what's going on? Like, you just brought him to us? And so he asked an obvious question that a military guy would say. Should we kill him? Like, should we just end it now? This is going to be like the easiest battle of all time. I can't believe this. Like, I've been scheming and planning on how we could get rid of these people. And like, this is the plan? You, you, you were just going to walk into? And so what made sense to him is then clarified by Elisha. You know, like the king of Israel is like, I love it when a plan comes together. Like, get your swords out, boys. This is going to be easy. Shall we kill him, Elisha? Is that what you want to do? And here's how he closes. Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Here's what we're going to do. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. Not, not a little feast, not a good feast, a great feast. I'm talking about $50 steaks, cooked medium rare. No ketchup. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aaron stopped raiding Israel's territory. The last thing that prayer teaches us is this. Prayer shows us God's purpose. We get God's perspective we learn God's plan, and ultimately through prayer, we understand God's purpose in everything that happens. God has a purpose behind it. Now, I want you to think about this. The, the king of Israel saw an opening, right? He was like, man, this is going to be good. This is going to be a story to tell right here. <laughs> like, they walked the, 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 the enemy army in their midst. We surrounded them. They were blind, and we just slaughtered all of them. This is going to be legendary. They're going to make a movie of this one day. This story might end up in a book one day. Who knows? This is going to be great. This is going to be a great story we're going to be able to tell our kids. What, what do you want us to do, Elisha? What is the, the plan? He had a good idea. He had an idea that makes sense. He had a purpose in the whole situation. But Elisha knew something that he didn't know. He knew that God had a purpose as well. So he said, here's, here's the plan. Bring them all together. 
sit them down at a table. Let's pull out all the stops. Let's cook them a nice meal. Like get them, get them rehydrated. They're thirsty. They've been walking a long time. Give them everything that they need and then send them home. And that was the purpose that God had. You want to know the difference between the king's purpose and Elisha's purpose? The king's purpose was I want to figure out how I can win this battle. But God's purpose was to actually end the war. Did you know that your purpose in life is often centered on what works now, what's good now, what is short-sighted right now, what can bring me the, the comfort right now, the soothing right now, the, the pleasure right now? You know, that, that's, that's just how we think. That's what our purposes are. And did you know that God has a bigger purpose than the here and now? Let me tell you what would have happened if they'd have gone with the king's purpose. They would have slain all of those people. And word would have gotten back to the king of Aram that there was an ambush set and that the people of Israel killed all of his soldiers. And within a few days, the king of Aram would have sent another million soldiers to the doorstep and they would have burned the whole city down. You go with the king of Israel's plan and you get two or three days of bragging rights and then you got another million soldiers knocking at your door. You go with God's plan and he ends the war. Scripture says the nation had peace. You want to win a battle or do you want peace in your life? Are you just like fighting every day to like live to, to fight another day? Next Tomorrow I'll get up and try to fight the battles again and, and I'll just keep on fighting and keep on pushing. And the next day I know I got to fight and I got to push. Man, do you want that? Or do you want peace? You want God's purpose or yours? You want to take a minute and understand that even the things that you're going through right now, God can have a bigger plan and a bigger purpose than you ever dreamed or imagined. Elisha said, wait, wait, guys, the purpose is this. God doesn't just want us to win this battle and get bragging rights. He's got a bigger purpose in mind. He's going to bring peace to the whole nation. And when he sent that enemy army away, they got back to the king of Aram and they're going to say, you're not going to believe this. When we showed up, they helped us. They served us. You know, all this time, we thought they were bad people. We thought they were mean. Like, why are we even fighting these people in the first place? And the king's like, I don't know. Well, shoot, man, if they're nice, we should stop invading them. Let's just be friends. Let's have peace. God's purpose leads to a very different outcome than yours. And I'm telling you, I know you got a purpose for your life. I know you got a plan. You're smart. But God's purpose is so much better. He can see things that you've never seen. He has a plan that you can't imagine. But if you're going to get it, you're going to have to have his perspective. And the only way you get that is through prayer. You can spend your life chasing the quick win, the thing that gives you satisfaction in the moment. Or you can realize that something is so much better, so much greater that's waiting for you. And that's God's purpose for your life. God has a purpose that is very different, a perspective that is very different than yours. He sees things that you can't see. God has a plan that is so much better than yours. I know you like your plan. I know you spend a lot of time on your plan. God's is better. And God has a purpose for every little thing that happens, the big and the small, the good and the bad, the things that were unplanned and the things that were planned in our eyes. God has a purpose to weave them all together in a story of redemption, to help you see him help you follow his son have that relationship with him to experience what used to be impossible is now possible 
where you and I didn't have a way out. We had no options for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus says, actually, I've got a plan. And he gave his life on the cross. What's the purpose of that? Man, it feels like we're losing the very son of God in the grave for three days. Well, actually, I've got a purpose behind that too. Because without that, you will never experience true life. And that's the invitation. That's what's in front of you today. I don't know if you understand it. I don't know if you know what you have access to. But when you pray and God begins to change your perspective and give you his plan and purpose, you'll realize this thing in front of you is an incredible opportunity that will not only change the life of your family and friends and the people in your sphere of influence, but it'll change you. That's what prayer does and what God wants to accomplish through it in your life today. We pray for you. God, it's hard to trust sometimes. (laughs) Oh, my plan. Our plan feels good, it's familiar, it's comfortable. It feels like we have some control over it. But God, it's, it's counterfeit, it's cheap. It's not as good. It comes up empty, it comes up short. God, we, we need that perspective from you that allows us to see beyond just what we're facing today, to build our faith, to increase our trust. We need to be reminded that you have a plan. It's a great plan. It's the best plan. It's so much better than our plan. It's foolproof. Our plan can fail and will fail over and over and over again, but your plan is victorious every single time. And God, what an incredible peace we can have if we would just know your purpose. If we could just know that even in the dark nights of the soul that there was a purpose even in the good times, there was a purpose. There was something so much bigger than what we could see. God, we want to know that. We're calling out to you. We're bowing our heads, putting our lives in a a posture to hear from you. God, that's what happens when we call out. That's what happens when we pray. So God, do those things in us, not just for the sake of our families, not just for us, but for your name's sake will to be done. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name.